one of the things that comes to mind is if you are having a short fuse day, you just kind of straight up say, I'm on a short fuse today. I'm very irritable right now. Don't do X and Y, please. Thank you. And it just lets me know, okay, I'll, I'll be a little bit more calm. Are you saying I do that or I should do that? You do do that. Okay. Yeah. I do do. You don't. I do do. <laughs> <laughs> You're listening to the Living and Leading with Emotional Intelligence podcast. You're listening to episode 59 of the Living and Leading with Emotional Intelligence podcast. I'm your host, Brittany Nicole. Today is an exciting day as I am introducing a very special guest, probably the most special guest I've ever had on this show. I'm being super biased right now uh, because this guest is my husband, Mr. Alexander Savarda. And the reason that I chose to bring my husband on originally as a guest on my podcast, because I was panicking, like, I don't think I have anybody lined up um, to do this, but actually I did. But I thought, oh my goodness, this releases on our anniversary. So that's actually perfect. Let's talk about what it's like to be in a relationship together and how emotional intelligence works within our relationship specifically. So we do talk about emotional intelligence within our relationship, very specific to our personal relationship, but we also go off topic and go down some very tiny rabbit holes as well. But I think that if you are in a relationship and you are looking to develop your emotional intelligence or even just say, you know, how might emotional intelligence change the dynamic of our relationship and make it a little bit healthier? I do think that you will find this episode valuable. So as far as an introduction goes for my husband, um, it's going to be different instead of doing like my traditional background of the person and how we met and things. I'm just going to say this. I am so grateful for my husband. He is a naturally empathetic, understanding, and very just relaxed human being, which is why we get along so well. And I think um, that will show in the conversations that we have together. But other than that, I really don't know what to say, (laughs) except I hope you find value in this episode. So without further ado, here is the interesting special anniversary episode with my husband as the guest, Alexander Savarda. Enjoy. All right. So, I mean, I don't really know how this is going to (laughs) go. This was kind of an afterthought for me. Was it an afterthought? No, not an afterthought. It was a impromptu idea yeah i'm like okay i don't have anybody lined up which i do have people to fill now but fill feel oh it was the last string fill in (laughs) yeah i mean i have people to kind of take this spot but i'm like well it falls on our anniversary on the 17th so why not have hubby come on and talk about just living with me and am I emotionally intelligent? This could determine whether we have another anniversary next year, depending on the answer to that. No, I'm just kidding. Um, yeah. So I really 
just want to talk about emotional intelligence and relationships and kind of my perspective, like what I've noticed that has been different being with you versus other relationships before I developed my emotional intelligence, which obviously is a work in progress. It never just, you never stop learning, but um, I think you've made it easy. Like living with you, being with you is very easy. So I don't know if it's my emotional intelligence that has helped me with relationships or it's just being with someone who makes life easy, but welcome to my podcast for the very first time. Thank you. It's nice to be here. Me. So, um, yeah, I always ask my guests to introduce themselves. So who are you, Alex Savarda? I am Alex Savarda, wife of the You're the wife of? Oh, right. The husband of. <laughs> living and leading with emotional intelligence expert. So, so are you saying that I wear the pants since you just kind of had a Freudian slip there? You're the wife of? No, no I just call it uh, Zoom jitters. Ah, uh, Okay. Sorry, I interrupted you. Go ahead. No, I was just going to say, husband of you, who is the expert in living and leading with emotional intelligence. And what do you do I, in your profession? Uh, software development, Salesforce development, MuleSoft development. It's really isolated to those few areas. And what do you do for fun, Alex Savarda? <laughs> uh, just video games occasionally on the weekends. Occasionally? Occasionally on the weekends. Occasionally. Mm, very interesting. Occasionally. Okay. Why is that interesting, darling? Well, I just love how you say occasionally because I, I think of occasionally being, you know, like, eh, maybe here and there. But, oh, well. Anyways. Well, out of a seven-day week, playing two days of those seven, I would say is occasional. Mm. Two out Wouldn't of seven. Wouldn't you agree? Yeah. Okay. thought it was more, but... All right. So let's talk about emotional intelligence and relationships. So I'll get started on that because, you know, I don't know how much you want to speak about that since I'm not really sure how much you know about emotional intelligence I know you have emotional intelligence. I want to make that clear. <laughs> like you, I feel like you naturally have a good base of emotional intelligence, but I don't know how much you actually feel comfortable talking about it. Um, but one thing I've noticed with you is I don't, I don't get upset. Like I, I used to get upset with people. Like my expectations have, let me, let me rephrase that. I don't know how to say this. I don't know how to talk about it. You've lowered your expectations? No, I didn't lower my expectations. Um, yeah, so emotional intelligence and relationships. Like, I don't know where to start with that. I guess what I find odd with our relationship in a good way is that we've been together. Can you believe it'll be five years this November? Damn. Yeah. Um, but we've never had an actual argument. No. couple frustrating conversations, mostly on your end of frustration. Yeah. Um, I've only ever 
I would say lashed out, quote unquote, once in the car when you scared me when nothing was going on. So somebody was drifting and I don't believe you saw it. I was observant. Mm, That other person was drifting too and you didn't see it, but. Actually, when you say other person, the other person in the right lane was merging into my lane that I was merging into. That's not drifting. We just merged at the same time. But the point is you did not see it. Yes. Okay. So when it happened again, it startled me and I was like. Clarify. It didn't happen again. It was a different situation. It was a different situation. Car in the adjacent lane through a turn was hugging the white line. And I didn't compensate by going farther to the right because I was pretty confident they weren't actually merging in a turn. It was within my threshold of comfortability. Yeah. But the point is, we, we don't argue. We have disagreements. Right. Just like this one. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I really think that has a lot to do with your demeanor. Like, I would like to say that developing my emotional intelligence has definitely changed how I would argue with someone. Like, I, I feel like I am definitely more aware of not projecting onto people as much as I used to. Like, I've never called you an idiot or a dumbass or a piece not, of shit. Not in any serious way, usually in a joking way. Well, yeah. I mean, we both, like, joke with each other, but I'm being, like, serious about it because, you know, before I dated you... I was only in really serious relationships and both of those were toxic in their own way. Like there was name calling, there was demeaning, there was like physical arguments where we would like push each other and, you know, I would throw things. And I noticed a lot of that changing when I was in my very short three-month relationship, we'll, we'll just call him, uh, we'll just call him Chris. We'll just give him a name, Chris. Oh, three months, fun three name. months with Chris. And he was very passive aggressive. And I think a lot of that had to do with, I only met his dad once, but I think his dad was really passive aggressive too. And uh, I noticed that, it was around that time that I was really starting to get into EQ and I think have that self-compassion for myself, which made me more assertive. And before I would just cry. Like if somebody talked to me poorly, I would just break down and cry and then take them back and forgive them and then call them names if they ever said anything to me again. And then we would argue and yell and scream at each other and it would just be a cycle It would just be this toxic cycle of argue, scream, shout, forgive, well, apology, forgive, repeat. Yeah, I mean, I just wouldn't stand up for myself. I wouldn't set healthy barriers. And I think that's a lot of, um, I think that's a big issue with a lot of people is when they go into a relationship, they have this idea of what they want, It's like, okay, this is what I want out of a relationship. And everybody goes into a brand new relationship 
with the set of expectations and everybody tends to want to meet those expectations early on, right? Everybody wants to be the perfect person for that perfect someone and vice versa. They want that other person to uphold the expectations that they have of them. And then once you're in that relationship for a good amount of time, the real person starts to show, right? Like you can't hold that facade forever. It's like, obviously this is the person I want to be, but that takes a lot of effort and energy to try to stay calm in a situation that you would normally lose your cool or tolerate something that really irritates you, but you're like, oh, it's not that big of a deal. And then it continues and you're like, okay, I can't take this anymore, right? And both people expect the other person to change. Instead of upfront saying, what am I willing to tolerate and what am I not willing to tolerate? And make that extremely clear. And I feel like I did that in our relationship. I feel like even before our relationship, when I was in that relationship with Chris, um, that I kind of let him know, like, here is where I stand with how you talk to me. If you do that again, this is what's going to happen. These are my boundaries. If you cross them, then I'm not going to put up with that. And, and that's exactly what I did. I, you know, and I think that that had to do with that self-compassion and respect for myself that I didn't have before. And I think self-respect is a part of being emotionally intelligent because it's being aware of what you're willing to take and you're setting those boundaries and effectively communicating that to the other person. Yeah. I think you touched on something interesting there with you're trying to be a better person when you're with someone new but that's not realistically who you are in the moment. Right. Yeah. So you're trying to change yourself for the better. Mm -hmm. People often say, you know, you really need to be true to yourself and honest with the other person about who you are, but what about the instance where you're actively trying to change? Is that a good idea? If you're going into a new relationship, should you hold off on personal change? I think it's like if you wanted to get into better physical shape or wanted to change your diet, you don't just take up, you know, a brand new lifestyle overnight. It takes time and you have to ask yourself, am I committed to this for me or am I doing this for someone else? Like if you take up a new diet or ex exercise regimen because you feel like the person you're with expects that of you and it's going to leave you if you don't look a certain way or do certain things, then it's going to fail because that's not you. You're not doing it for you. And I think a lot of people put on their best face because it's like, Ooh, I really like this person. I don't want to lose them. I can't let them see all of my flaws. All of no. your self-identified flaws. Yeah. Things that other people might not consider flaws, right? Yeah, potentially. But I feel like, you know, um, I don't know, like the whole expectations thing. I, I hated dating, like absolutely hated it because I felt like everybody was trying to be fake, you know, or, or be that best person. And I knew what that was going to be like. I knew what that was going to lead to. 
And with you, I kind of laid it all out there. Like, this is what I like and this is what I can tolerate, but not in a way that is requiring you to be someone you're not, right? Um, like, I remember our first date, which went really, really, really well, because we went from the brewery to another brewery to, like, another place. Like, we didn't want the night to end, but when we sat down, I will never forget when you said, I said, what do you like to do for fun? And what was your answer? Video games. And what did I say? Do you remember? Uh, no, I think your eyes kind of went up and opened and then you're like, tilt your head back. You did that thing where you're like, Oh yeah. Shit. Yeah. Well, I made, I made a promise to myself that I would never date anyone who played video games again. And the reason being was my very first husband was literally a video game addict to the point where he would leave work to come home and play video games, pulled me out of my chair by my ponytail to do a raid when I was doing homework on the computer. And we would have physical fights over him being on the video game. So that kind of scarred me when it came to video games because he was literally addicted to those things and they're addicting. Um, so I was like, I, I'm just, I can't date anybody that, that plays video games for a hobby. Um, to stack on, there was also a physical manifestation of the addiction too, like physically removing you from his gaming area. You know, that's yeah. a little more traumatizing than someone that's just on it all the time. Well, and it's, there is a little bit, I mean, I consider it, and I guess it's not fair to talk about him without him being able to defend himself, but I feel like there was a bit of neglect there too. Like, like you're in this relationship and you would rather spend time on a video game or, you know, instead of being with your significant other. However, to be fair, I was extremely controlling in that relationship. Like, crate on the borderline of stalker, just hyper-controlling. So I was definitely not my best self at all in that relationship. And I'm curious if I wasn't that controlling, if things would have been different. Although him and I were so different in other areas that it wouldn't have worked. But I wonder how that would have changed the dynamic of the relationship i think it depends on the person entirely um video games can be a nice escape from reality so with someone else who kind of just played with video games a little bit in a controlling relationship it'd be a nice escape to just kind of get away from the over controlling overbearing uh, spouse or what have you but in his case i think he was addicted long before you met him, right? Yeah, he would also play like um, Magic and all these other card games, Yu-Gi-Oh! And he would, yeah, he was doing that when we were in high school. So you're right, he probably was already kind of addicted to that stuff. But, but that is a good point of, it just takes observation of are my actions impacting this person to do something to escape? And in your case, maybe, you know, it's hard to really say. 
And, and that's like one thing when, when people talk about exes, it always seems to be they were such an asshole or they, they were the problem. And I think emotional intelligence allows you to really see like what fault did you have in things not working? Because it does take both people to make it work or not work. And if it doesn't work, that doesn't mean the other person's a bad person. It just means that you weren't compatible, you know, but for some reason, our society tells people that, oh, well, if it didn't work, then they're just this horrible, terrible person that you should never, ever talk to ever again, you know? Yeah, I've seen less of that personally, of society saying they're bad people. I don't really know the message society gives in terms of exes. I feel like it's mixed. Maybe but so. I haven't. Yeah. Maybe I'm being biased, but like if I look back and reflect on my past relationships that were actually kind of long-term, like the longest term I think I had was six months in college. And that was, that was it. But that one, they all ended kind of messy. And most of it was a lack of, Communicating feelings, really. It was, I don't want to hurt this person's feelings because if I tell them what I'm feeling, they're going to get hurt. They're going to get mad. But eventually it boils over anyways because it's not sustainable to say, I'll just stay with this person and not hurt their feelings. And then three months later, it's like, hey, I finally have the courage to say what I wanted to say months ago. And it just ends a whole lot worse than it should have. Yeah. So uh, like back to our relationship, when we first started dating, do you remember? Oh, well, I was thinking of like boundaries, but I don't know if you remember that far back. I know you have a selective memory, but do you remember me like establishing boundaries with you? Actually scratch that, scratch that. So when we first started dating, I had like chronic acne. Oh, yeah. Do you remember that? Mm-hmm. But I do remember that like I hated, again, I hated the honeymoon phase of relationships. I despised it. I just wanted to get get over that like real quick. Like here's all of my baggage and here's my mess And you get to decide if you want to carry this with you or not, right? Not saying that you should dump all your problems onto someone and not work on yourself. That's that's not what I'm saying. But I think it's important that if you are trying to work on yourself, instead of pretending that that is who you are in the moment and then it falling through and your true color showing, to just say, here are my true colors and here's what I'm aware of and here's what I'm working on. And while I'm working on it, I know that it's going to take time. Do you want to be part of that journey with me or not? Here's things about myself that I know will never change. Like my interest, my expectations of myself, my expectations of who I want to be with. And I know that that's just not going to change. Are you willing to deal with that or not? Right? Yeah, I vaguely remember something like that. I'm sure if you started describing what you did, it would jog my memory. 
but the only thing that really stands out was your drive and determination to do more or the, um, I don't know how to describe it. I guess it's just drive, have a powerful drive to do something big. Yeah. Like you were starting a business and you wanted to be with someone like that. Yeah, I did. But <laughs> I feel like people listening are going to be like, well, why did you bring up chronic acne? Like that just kind of like was just mentioned. Uh-oh. And the reason that I bring that up is because I wasn't hiding it. Like I oh, didn't, didn't feel like it. I needed to cake on a ton of makeup, go to bed with makeup, wake up, put on makeup. Like it was just kind of like, here's what I look like. When I wake up in the morning, <laughs> this is what you're going to be looking at because I don't care, you know? Yeah. I mean, there's a caveat to that where when we met up at the brewery for the first time, you were wearing makeup. Oh, well, yeah. I mean, I couldn't tell you had any acne. The first date, obviously, you don't want to show up <laughs> looking like a hag, you know, <laughs> come in my pajamas and my bedroom slippers. But, I mean, I'm just saying, like, if we were just hanging out around the house, I didn't feel like I needed to be a certain, like, present myself in a certain way. It's like, you accept me for me, or you don't. I don't want someone who's shallow, um, which you are the furthest thing from that. But I do remember that when you brought up the drive thing, that was important to me. And I did want somebody that was as driven. And I do remember finding myself getting really irritated when I didn't feel like you had a specific goal in mind. But then I had to weigh everything out. But I think it took time to kind of weigh those options because I I was teeter-tottering I'm like, okay, this guy is really awesome. He's super sweet, super kind, but I don't feel like he's going the same direction that I'm going with my career and life. And I'm, am I going to be okay with that? Because the thing that I liked about my other long-term ex was that he was super driven. Like he kind of was the one that got me going with holy shit, this is my full potential. Like I can actually do these things. He kind of pushed me in the direction that I inherently wanted to go, but didn't think I had the potential to actually achieve all these things that I wanted. Right. It was kind of smothered when I was younger and he brought that out in me. So I wanted to find someone who could continue to fuel that fire. Kind of like a mentor. Yeah, kind of like someone to just like a sounding board, bounce ideas off of, get their input, their feedback, like toss, toss ideas around. And you're so, I don't know if docile is the right word, but you're very, like, you're a great listener and people love that about you, but I wanted someone to be more aggressive with feedback instead of more involved and engaged. Yeah. Yeah. Well, the difference, I don't think it matters how driven someone is. If they're not in your field of study in your career field, they can't give the best advice in a relative factor. Like for sure. Yeah. 
there's a, just a, I think a solid wall there to say, if I'm a programmer and I'm trying to talk to you about how to structure out this code, you're just going to be like, maybe do this. I mean, this sounds right. It's like, no, no, that's, that's completely different. Same thing with your business. I can talk about things where I think this sounds right. And this makes sense to me, but on a psychological scale, it doesn't work in practice in terms of like marketing or how you should design your logos and business. It's like, I haven't taken any of those courses. So I understand like it makes sense to have someone push you forward and to live with that person. You can definitely grow very quickly. But from my point of view, you could just get a mentor and get a similar effect. Yeah. And, th- and that's what I've done. And it, like, I'm glad you brought that point up because I think too many people want their significant other to be everything for them. Like not everyone, right? Like in healthy, in healthy relationships, people realize that that person is not going to be the end all be all. They're not going to be your advisor. They're not going to be like the, they're, they're just not going to be everything. Um, and then you just find that in other people right? Like you're not a big talker, but I like to talk. I'm someone who actually enjoys talking on the phone to a friend and and throwing things around. So I call Andrew and talk to Andrew about that. And you have, you know, your brother in Austin to kind of talk to, but you talk about different things. And so like for us, it's kind of more of a support system, right? More so financially now, right? (laughs) (laughs) But but just when I'm having a bad day, like I love that I can just come to you and just get a hug from you. And before, if I had a bad day, I would just take it out on that person. Everything that frustrated me about them, I would just let it all out. And I think that's where emotional intelligence comes in into relationships is we tend to take things out on the people we care most about because a lot of people feel like, and I know you're not that type of person. So you're kind of like, Oh no, I don't see that. But not everybody's like you, right? You're, you're very rare when it comes to that. (laughs) Blushing. (laughs) Uh, But seriously, most people, take their frustrations out on the people they care about the most because they know that they'll still be there in the end most of the time until it becomes such a big problem where it's like, okay, I'm tired of you taking all your frustrations out on me and I'm, I'm done with this. But people test the limits on that usually. And I think that's so unfortunate because it just seems so counterproductive if you want that person to be there for you, why would you lash out at them? And so I have learned over the years to better manage my emotions. Now, you know, as well as anyone that I am fiery and I am stubborn and I am a short fuse. Emotional intelligence hasn't changed that in me. It's made me aware of it. And whenever I have those like, very heated, well, I wouldn't say heated, those days where um, my fuse is a little shorter than most, 
I let you know it. Like I may stomp. I may like put my fist down on like the cabinet. I may like, you know, but I don't take it out on you. Right. Like you may say, what's wrong? Are you okay? And I'm like this, you know, I let it out and that's okay. And I want people to know that like being emotional and emotionally intelligent does not mean that you are calm whenever things are falling apart. You can still have those feelings. It's good to express them. The thing is you just need to make sure you're not taking it out on yourself in a negative way or out on other people in a negative way. Right. Yeah. One of the things that comes to mind is if you are having a short fuse day, you just kind of straight up say, I'm on a short fuse today. I'm very irritable right now. Don't do X and Y, please. Thank you. And that just lets me know, okay, I'll, I'll be a little bit more calm. Are you saying I do that or I should do that? You do do that. Okay. Yeah. I do do. You don't, do do. <laughs> <laughs> you don't hide it. You don't say nothing's yeah. wrong. You don't say I'm fine. Yeah. You say, no, it's just this. So yeah. communication is really good for that. I was going to bring something up about that of communication in a relationship. Oh, that was but, too long ago. I wanna, like while you're thinking about that. No, like that's the thing. Like I know what my triggers are. And I know if I'm having a bad day, if the dishes are in the sink or on the counter, then that is going to just fuel that fire in me even more and make me more angry and more frustrated. So yeah, I come to you and I say, babe, I'm having a really shitty day. I'm pissed off. I have a very low tolerance. Like, can you please clean this shit up? Because it's really getting to me. You know, there's still that frustration in my voice, but I'm not directing it at you. Yeah. That's actually what I was going to get at is communicating with your partner to get to a level where, you know, when they're angry, they're not angry at you. When they have that tone in their voice, it's not directed at you. It's just, that's how they're feeling. That's how they're going to sound. Cause like with you, you'll sound frustrated when you speak, you raise your voice a little bit during discussions, but that doesn't mean you're getting frustrated necessarily at me. Right. It's just, you're feeling that. And so for me, it helps to know that's what you're going through versus assuming and internalizing that, Oh, she's getting mad at me. She's frustrated at me. I need to be quieter and better. And I'm just doing something wrong. So having that established line of communication with your partner to know they're not directing that anger at you necessarily. And I think it's not just for you to interpret that, right? It's also my responsibility or the person who is frustrated or having those feelings to effectively communicate that. And I also want to make it clear that saying you're fucking lazy asshole. Sorry, babe. It's not you. I'm just frustrated. No, that is, it's not the same thing. Like you can't call someone names or call them stupid and say, I'm sorry. I just called you an asshole and sorry. I called you stupid. I'm just really frustrated. No, 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 no. That like, that's not okay. It's fuck. God damn it. 
I'm really frustrated. I'm not mad at you. I just need to let this out. Just let me vent, please. <laughs> right? Yeah. Yeah. For sure. And that's, and that's um, something that I talk about with Generation EQ and parents. You know, parents want their kids to be calm and not react and not throw tantrums and not behave in certain ways, but it's not realistic. Like everybody needs to express their emotions. If you're feeling anger, that's, that's a high energy emotion. So you can't expect them to handle it in a lower vibration of energy. They have to express it in the same intensity that they're feeling it. It's always do no harm, right? Do no harm to yourself, do no harm to others and find a way to exert that energy. For some people, it may be going for a run, which is, you know, to others way more effective than screaming or, you know, punching like a pillow or what, what have you. But punching the pillow and screaming is still an effective way as long as you're not taking it out on someone else. And letting that person know, heads up, I'm going to go upstairs, close my door and scream for a couple minutes. Don't think anything about it. <laughs> So I have a question about that because I don't know the right answer. When you train a child to say, take out their emotions physically on a specific pillow or on like a punching bag, what if they're in a situation where they don't have either of those things They have, they've been now conditioned to say, I have this feelings and I'm used to taking them out physically and I don't have anything around me except maybe people. They don't have pillows or punching bags. Well, for kids, I would prefer not to teach them how to take it out with physical things like punching. I would stay away from that altogether. Like if you're an adult and you want to go downstairs and hit a punching bag or a pillow, fine. But but hitting anything, I guess, isn't the – I shouldn't have probably used that as an example. Um, with kids – I recommend usually stomping or jumping up and down, um, screaming into a pillow, something like that. And a lot of parents might say, well, I don't want them doing that in public. The thing is, they're going to react anyways. Kids have tantrums in public all the time. And usually what happens is the parent will try to threaten them by if you do this or if you act this way, this is what's going to happen. Well, now the kid's even more upset because they don't want a privilege taken away or a toy taken away or, you know, ice cream that they were going to get after the shopping was over, like taken away. So now they're more upset. Instead of the parents saying, look, I know you're experiencing this feeling. Here's your screen pillow or let's go over here in this corner and just stomp it out because you've got a lot of energy and just let them get it out. It's going, they're going to explode anyways because they have that emotion. But if the parent allows them to do that, it's going to shorten that time for the temper, temper tantrum. You're not going to have this back and forth and they will grow out of it. It's not like your 10 year old is going to be doing the same thing that your two year old does as they emotionally mature they will learn more effective ways to better handle that energy in a way that's not going to disturb other people. 
but you can't expect a two-year-old, three-year-old, or four-year-old, sometimes even five-year-old, to not behave that way in public. It's just not realistic. Right. You're telling them to bottle up everything and just yeah, contain it. Exactly. And so, I think that's the problem with a, a lot of adults is like, we bottle it, we bottle it, we bottle it. Well, what happens when you put a lot of pressure in a small space? Eventually, it explodes. Yeah, I was going to say it's analogous to a pot of boiling water. If you don't release some of the pressure, and you just try to put a lid on it, it's going to seep out and eventually explode. Yeah. You just got to start draining it. So that screaming into the pillow is like just siphoning off some of that water, reducing the pressure. Well, it's just like dumping the pot upside down at that point. You know, it's not, it's not siphoning. I mean, you're just, just letting it out like right then and there. And it, it, it's definitely a more disruptive way, <clears throat> I guess you could say, of doing it. Because who likes to hear a loud screaming child, right? But that's why I recommend parents carrying a tiny little pillow around with them or a plush stuffed animal so it's like, you probably need to let that energy out. Just scream into it. It's better than them just doing it in the store without something, you know? Yeah. I'd be curious if you could create kind of like a, like a snail shell, a cone where you've got different. <laughs> you just shove something over their head. <laughs> no, they, it's like they scream into it, but it goes through this uh, cylindrical or circular uh, channel. And every so often there's a, uh, a block or a foam block that reduces the sound. You're going to patent that? You're I'll have to come up, with some, come up with some designs. <laughs> yeah. Well, anyways, yeah, but I just wanted to kind of talk about like our relationship because guess what? Today, well, I say today, we're recording this two days before, but they don't need to know that. Yeah. Okay. Today, <laughs> <laughs> today is our, how many year? anniversary three two (laughs) (laughs) how long have we been married 2019 right yeah two yeah two okay math edit that to make me sound attentive (laughs) when's my birthday babe oh february 1st is that public information should people know that Uh, i'm sure they can find it somewhere okay yeah. Anyways, anything else you want to add? Um, I don't think so. Covered some of the basics. Oh, one thing I wanted to touch back on. You had said when you were going to explain if you were going to keep dating me or not, mm. toss-ups, you had prefaced it by saying, I'm going to be honest here for the first time. I was like, you're kind of saying you haven't been honest with me in this whole relationship up until now by saying that. No, it's not on. It's like not being dishonest. It's just, I guess I am disclosing something. I mean, that's not like lying to you. It was just like at the beginning, I was kind of on the fence. Like, do I continue dating this guy or do I break up with him? And I was talking to my roommate at the time about it because I'm like, he's a really great guy. I just don't feel like he's driven. And I feel like I need that in my relationship. And you've changed a lot since then. Cause I mean, we've 
this year we'll be together five years. But back then I remember, or I felt that you weren't taking your job seriously at the time. You were just kind of like coasting. And I just kept saying, you just, you can't coast if you want to get ahead in your career. And if you want to be a valuable resource, you have to show initiative. You can't just be complacent. And that, that scared me because with technology advancing rapidly, like you need to stay up to date. You have to stay up to date. And I didn't want to commit to a relationship where I was always going to have to worry about, is this person going to hold up their end of the financial responsibility, I guess. Are they going to be able to hold down? (laughs) Tables have turned, but. Yeah. Are they going to be able to hold down a job for more than a year or two? Yeah. And, and And I think that also scared me because like I told you my first guy, I don't even want to call him Anyways, the first guy I was with who was a video game addict didn't really care about work, right? It was just he did it because he had to do it, and I didn't want to see that same pattern present itself in you. Like, does he just care about doing all these extracurricular activities and not the job, not the thing that is going to determine his quote-unquote success in life? Like, I don't want to start a long-term relationship with someone like that, you know? Yeah. I mean, you definitely want to have that stability in your life. Right. Can we also talk about the the other thing that happened that um, kind of made me almost break up with you? Was that... There was actually two things that happened. I remember one of them when some belongings went missing. Yeah. So I think it was, we'd only been dating a month because it was, it was the Christmas party. Right. November to December. Okay. Yeah. So my roommate and I threw a Christmas party more. So my roommate threw a Christmas party because it was mainly her friends and there was a bunch of frat guys that came over. Well, I wouldn't say a bunch. There was like six maybe. And I think Alina, I don't even know if Alina was there. I think she was actually. I think Alina came. But the point being, she allowed, my roommate allowed these guys that I didn't know to go into my bathroom, which I had the master suite. She had the guest, which would have made more sense because they wouldn't have had to go through her bedroom to get to the bathroom. But the point being, um, The next day I went to do laundry and some of all of my undergarments were gone. And that same day that I did laundry, I also left you, Alex, alone at the apartment while I did her um, graduation photos. Mm. And so when I came back and I started doing my laundry, folding it, I realized that all of them were gone. And it was ironic that, or not ironic, it was coincidental that the very night before I made a joke about making extra money and I said, well, you know what? One of my sorority sisters is actually selling her undergarments to make money. 
And I said it as a joke. And the fact that they all went missing the next day, I'm like, this guy (laughs) got the idea of, oh, I can make some money by selling this stuff. And you went and sold all of them on the internet. Like, that's what I'm thinking. And then, what, a week later, $1,500 went missing in cash from my room. And you were the only person that knew where it was. Because I had showed it to you. I don't know why I did that. But don't ever show money to a stranger (laughs) or, or someone you've been dating for a month. But uh, yeah, so that went missing. So I'm, I'm thinking this guy stole my money and my undergarments. <laughs> Sounds like a real nice guy. But I actually did call you over to break up with you. Do you remember that? I thought we were just having a discussion. I didn't think that was going to be, that was a breakup call visit. Yeah, but... It was what you did. Like, no, I was calling you over to kind of break up with you. Oof. And because, I I mean, I'm adding all these things up, right? Like, you were at the apartment all by yourself. You had the opportunity to get them. We just had that conversation about my sorority sister doing that. The day before that they went missing, you were the only one who knew her. I mean, everything made sense. Everything led to you. And to this day, I still don't know what happened to the money or that other stuff. Like, still don't know. Um, would love to know that. But, yeah. But what did you do? Do you remember what you did? Um, a few tears were involved, I think, during that conversation on oh, my yeah, side. But... I wrote you a check for the mini- missing money. Yeah. Yeah. I still have that check. Oh, you haven't torn it up yet? I've, I've put void <laughs> on it. Like I, I wrote in permanent marker void, but I'm like, I'm going to keep this. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but you wrote me a check. So I thought, okay, if this guy cares enough to write me a $1,500 check for the missing money, either he's guilty <laughs> <laughs> or he really doesn't want to lose me. Because I gave you the benefit of the doubt. And I'm really glad that I did. Same. Yeah. Yeah. And you got some testimonials from friends and family basically saying that I'm not capable of thievery. Yeah. But boy, were they upset when I accused you of it. Oh, yeah. Well, when you built up such a good reputation, uh, you get some good people defending you. Yeah. So... What was the other time? Other time. You said there were two. There there were were two times you almost broke up with me. No, no, no. There were two situations that caused me to do that. I thought the money went missing on the same night as the undergarments. It may have, but I don't know that for sure. I only checked. It was Christmas Day. It was the first Christmas I ever spent by myself. You were in Ohio with your family. My parents, I don't know why I wasn't with my parents. I think we celebrated Christmas at a different date because of somebody's work schedule. Yeah, that sounds about right. And so on actual Christmas day, I was home alone. My roommate was obviously with her family. 
and I went to get the money. I don't even know why. Why on Christmas? Maybe it made me feel good. Like, let me go hold this money because <laughs> I have nothing else on Christmas. But I went to look for it and I'm like, okay, where did this go? And I, I dug through everything. I knew where I had placed it. I could not find it anywhere. So yeah, I have no clue what happened yeah. to that. Be nice if there was some kind of a machine. Just ask one question in your life. I, I don't know if that would be the question I would ask. Like, yes, I'd like to know, but I'm sure there's more important things that I would want to know. What would you ask it? What would I ask it? Yeah. Mm, I don't know. I'd have to think about that. That's a, what would you ask it? I've actually thought about like, if there were such a thing, what would I ask it? And I daydream about deliberating over the question for weeks. Because if you ask the right question, you know, can really benefit you in a lot of ways, either financially or emotionally. Still haven't come up with an answer, mm. a question to ask. Talking about like daydreaming and thinking about things. I guess this wasn't a daydream. It was more of a nightmare. I was so nervous like about this interview with you because I know how, I don't want to say non-social, but. I would. I would. <laughs> <laughs> okay. How non-social you are. Um, I've tried to take some videos of you for like Instagram or something and you just kind of like freeze up. And I'm like, oh my gosh, how is he going to be on a podcast? <laughs> uh, but you did good. I'm proud. Conversation usually starts to flow after the first seven minutes. You start yeah. to get more comfortable. Your nerves calm down a little bit. But for me, the nervousness comes from, well, what am I really going to talk about? What insights can a man with no experience in this field really give? Well, no formal experience, but like I said, I feel like you are naturally, you are naturally an empathetic, caring person who's a good listener and doesn't take your frustrations, which you don't get frustrated very easily ever, unless you're in a car. Used to be. I don't even get that frustrated in a car anymore, unless someone does something really dumb. But I've, you know, I've stopped playing the speed lane, going the passing lane more, or the the right lane more. It just calm down in general. So yeah, yeah. So I guess as a to sum it up as a recap, it's to have a healthy relationship. It's important, especially if you're going into a new relationship to establish those boundaries up front and unwavering expectations. And what I mean by that is like, this is my expectation of my significant other. If you don't check these boxes, I cannot accept anything less than that. But also being realistic with those expectations too. Right. Like there's, there's this dance of, you know, my expectation is you don't take your frustrations out on me. I expect nothing less than that. Instead of, I expect you to be this weight and this, you know, look this way or ex expect nothing less. Like 
not the shallow stuff, but more so the things that really, and I mean, maybe some people that is like something that they expect. I don't want to like say that what works for you isn't for me. The point is like, be realistic, really know what your values are because people are going to age. You may want them to be a certain way, but they're going to age. So if there's not something deeper than that emotionally um, or intellectually that you care about, then I don't know what to tell you there. It's also probably not a good idea to assume like, oh, I'll be with this person for their looks now and just assume I'll grow accustomed to their mannerisms and style as we grow together. Yeah. Because that's, you're taking a big chance there. You brought up something. So, okay. I know we're going to wrap it up, but I spoke to a men's group and they were all like wealthy entrepreneurs, executives, right? And a couple of them brought up their relationships with their significant other, how they wanted to have an intellectual conversation with their significant other, but all they cared about was hair and makeup. And they didn't care about having those deep conversations. And they're like, that's what I really long for. And I said, well, did you know that when you got into this relationship? They're like, yeah, but I thought she would change. It's like, so you marry this quote unquote trophy wife, right? And she's beautiful, she's gorgeous but then you can't actually connect with her on a deeper level, but you're expecting her to grow with you. Is that what you're kind of talking about? Like, In a sense. Yeah. I think it's pretty much the same thing. Or, well, actually, so that one's talking about the other person changing to your image. I think what I was referring to was your tolerance level for somebody or your interest in someone changing very similar things oh, okay yeah when you said they you meant the wife right you said they only care about hair and makeup yeah the wife okay yeah so are you saying like let's say that i'm i don't know 30 pounds heavier than i am now and you're like that's totally acceptable. I'm good with that. And then a couple years down the road, you're like, ah, I'm not okay with that. I need you to be 20 pounds lighter than you are. Is that what you're talking about? The reverse? I guess um, it doesn't really matter. The point is like, you need to ask yourself some serious questions before you even start dating of, are you looking for one, a serious relationship or is this just something fun and, you know, you're not really looking to get anything out of it long-term. I guess, you know, because that's important too. Not everybody wants to jump into a serious relationship. Yeah, I think it helps some people who have just come out of something very serious. They want to go back into their routine and serious relationships tend to be like that. Um. I guess an example of what I was referring to would be if I'm a guy and I want to date some really hot girl, I'm like, Oh, she's really hot. Let's start, you know, dating. But she has, you find out through the relationship that she 
uh, snores while she sleeps. And is that something you can put up with? And you're like, well, I'll grow accustomed to it as we get older. It won't bother me as much. You you can't guarantee you're going to get accustomed to that. You can't guarantee something that bothers you now won't bother you in five to 10 years. Gotcha. And that's probably not the best example, but that's kind of what I was going with. Well, I think of my OCD, which I really can't afford to have (laughs) with all the work that I have. And I've, I've learned to manage it, but before we met, it was not, not the extreme. Obviously OCD is a spectrum. Some people have it where they have to like tap something so many times that kind of, um, obsessive compulsive disorder. But for me, it was everything needed to be in its place at all times There was never a dirty dish in the sink. Hmm. There was never, like the remote had a place. Everything had a place and it was always in its place. When you entered the scene, it wasn't the same. I remember going over to your apartment for the first time and I'm like, oh my God. Like, I know you said it was your roommates. I know you said that it was like primarily some of your roommates, but... I found out when we moved in together that mm, it may have been a a certain amount your roommates, but you also tend to just leave things places and not even notice that they're there. And I'm like, how do you not see that? How How do you not see the crumbs on the counter? How do you not just wipe it down? You know, when I lived with my roommate, I would wipe everything down. As soon as I finished cooking, I wiped everything down. I cleaned all the pots and the pans and I put them away before I even sat down to eat because I needed to know that like I, I wanted that controlled environment. However, if I maintained those expectations with you, I would have gone insane. Like it was so like and and when i say ocd i know a lot of people throw like i have ocd or i'm ocd and they just throw it around like i literally have documentation from a doctor that says i'm ocd so i'm not just like for anybody listening it's like i really have ocd i do too again it's a spectrum but anyone who truly has ocd knows that it is constantly nagging at you Like it drives you crazy to see things out of place. Like you can't get it off your mind. It's just always, always there. Um, So having, having you just leave stuff places like would drive me crazy. And it would bother me to the point where I just wanted to scream and cry sometimes because I'm like, I, I can't deal with this. I have to, leave this room, go somewhere else, like try to get my mind off of it. And with having a business, it made it even more difficult because I had other obligations. Like I couldn't constantly clean up after you all the time to meet my needs. Right. And it wasn't fair to you. Like that's another thing I realized my OCD shouldn't become your problem. I shouldn't expect you to be a neat freak Because that's what I expect or that's what works for me. And through the years, clearly 
I have managed it way better because now I've become more like you where I may leave, you know, my plate on the table for a few hours before I put it away. Or I may not make, you know, before I made the bed every single day, (sighs) every single day, put all the pillows up there. But I had to make it like I came to a place of I have to manage my my sanity and I have to weigh my options. Is my business more important or is making this bed more important? Like what is the best use of my time there? And like kind of with my anxiety, yes, I was diagnosed with generalized anxiety disorder. But I've learned with emotional intelligence how to manage and regulate those emotions and have that internal narrative in my head that says, what is more important? And is this worth your sanity? Because OCD, like a lot of diagnoses, can be managed and can be controlled because it's all an impulse to react and respond based on the emotions that are evoked, right? So when you can control those emotions and that impulse and talk through that, you can manage it, which I've done, but. Do you think that part of it was just kind of being in the right relationship helped manage those? Because I've heard of there's some like underlying, I don't want to say psychological or emotional driver but, but like it if, is. It, if someone feels out of control of their life in certain areas, being clean helps you feel in control. Yeah. So do you think being in a healthy relationship helped you combat your OCD? Um, I don't know because I, I mean, our relationship has always been healthy from the beginning, but up until this past year, I would say what you did, like by not cleaning up after yourself as much as I would like, right? It still bothered me. It was just when my business started to pick up and I had more obligation and responsibility, if I compiled all of that stress on top of the stress of the OCD, I would have had a minor mental breakdown, Hmm. like, you know, and, and I've had those before where I had panic attacks triggered left and right. Like I had a mini breakdown my first time going to college where I just wanted to run and escape. Like I can't explain it. I don't know what technically defines a mental break, but I would say that it was definitely a mental break and I could feel that building up with, the house and with the business. And I had, I knew I had a choice to make. I knew that I was creating this reality. Like you said, there is a psychological component that we do have control over. Unfortunately, many of us aren't told that we have control over it. We're just told, Oh, you have this disorder. Here's some medication, like go treat it. But you can like people get over phobias too. It's kind of the same thing. There's an experience in your life. And obviously like my upbringing, I think that's where my control came in is because my environment growing up was out of my control. 
and messy. Whereas as an adult, now I have that control to organize my environment in a way that is suitable for me, right? So I think that's where my came into play. Um, and whenever things would be a hot mess, it would trigger those same feelings, that lack, like you said, lack of control over my environment. But um, what, I, what I came to realize is I have control if I'm going to let this affect me. And I switched the control from being material control to psychological control, emotional control. Hmm. That's very interesting. Yeah. It's cool to hear. I am glad you stopped making the bed every day because oh, that was such a pain. Put the pillows on the bed, take the pillows off the bed. Put the pillows on the bed, take the pillows off the bed. I remember when I made up the rule that the first person or the last person out of bed had to make the bed. And so as soon as I would wake up, you would literally just throw yourself <laughs> physically out of the bed onto the floor. And you're like, not it, not it. <laughs> yeah. And we would kind of race each other to do that some days. Yeah. Which just shows you didn't want to do it either. Oh, of course not. Like, and in that, like, that's another thing with OCD. It's not that you enjoy cleaning all the time. It's that you gain that pleasure from the end result, right? I didn't enjoy making the bed. I did enjoy seeing it made mm. and having that nice environment. Yeah. I think that's a misconception. A lot of people would probably have because up until now I had forgotten that that's the reason reason, or that's the driver behind your desire to have a made bed. I thought, Oh, you just like doing it or you want it done really forgetting that it's really just the made bed part. You don't like making it. Exactly. Kind of like people like to have money, but they don't like doing the work to make the money. It's kind of like you like the end result. <laughs> yeah. mean, let me take that back. Some people like, like I enjoy my work. It does get overwhelming sometimes and I don't know how to set boundaries for myself. Like this past week when we went on vacation and I had a laundry list of things I wanted to complete and was upset and anxious because I didn't get it done on vacation. But um, again, that was a conversation I had to have with myself. Like what's really important. Yeah. And I think with relationships, people need to have those conversations with themselves more often than expecting someone else to fix their problem. Like it's good to have conversations with your significant other, but I think you need to have a conversation with yourself first and talk through like, what is my objective of having this conversation? What am I looking to get out of it? Um, am I like putting something on someone like a burden that, isn't theirs to bear and it makes things run much smoother when you do talk to them. Yeah. It's really tough to have those conversations with yourself or those thoughts because I don't know if it's just recently, but it's hard to turn down everything else that's going on to turn your phone off, to stop looking at it, to not be on the computer, to just actually think really hard and pro follow through an entire thought process of how am I going to do X and Y to get Z? I just get distracted too often. And I, it's, 
it's hard because you start going down this difficult thought process and path and you want to distract yourself from it because it's not necessarily fun and it's not easy. Hmm. Interesting. Maybe that's just me. I like thinking. (laughs) I I enjoy just being alone alone with my thoughts, but I think too, though, you're always, like you said, you're always being stimulated by your phone or by a computer screen. And I think it's really important for people to limit that exposure because it does make just thinking and being in a quiet space challenging. Yeah. I was more going towards the lost my train of thought there. Interesting timing. (laughs) (laughs) No, it was having difficult thoughts on yourself, like things that really matter is hard. But in terms of just thinking in itself, like when I'm working, I have to think through logical processing of where does this start? Where does this go? How does this work? And how is this going to work? Like it takes a lot of in-depth thought and it's hard, but it's enjoyable. I think when it comes to personal thought, personal growth, it's harder than that. And that, maybe that doesn't apply to everyone. What makes it more challenging for you specifically? I don't know. I think it's in a similar realm of like going to the gym and lifting weights is hard, physically demanding, but it doesn't take a lot of thought process, right? In a similar way, thinking about something for work is easier than thinking about changing yourself or how your actions impact others. I don't really know why. Maybe because if you think about it, you're like, oh, these are areas I can improve upon. How can I improve upon them? Maybe it just ends up being more work if you actually think about it. That's an interesting perspective. Especially coming from someone who seems to be very aware of their impact on others. Yeah, I don't, maybe it's that I've reached a state of, I don't know, I'm like 80% of the way there to being good and any further work I don't have to do because I've already reached, I'm over the threshold of average. Well, yeah. <laughs> and I don't need to go any farther because people don't realize or they don't notice or pick up on anything else. Does that make sense? Gotcha. Interesting. Well, cool stuff. So I'm going to get back to the recap because I kind of like started it and then we, I took us down some rabbit hole and I don't quite remember what it was, but anyways, so recap is expectations, which I think I already covered. That was the first thing that I was talking about in the recap. And then the other thing is Feel all of your emotions. Feel. And and the reason that I am pronouncing that is because my southern accent and marrying a Yankee, guess (laughs) he always corrects me because I can't hear the difference in Mm -hmm. like pill, hill, 
Bill. <laughs> right down in the comments Bill on what word she's actually saying. Yeah. Yeah. So if I say feel, that's, I, I mean, I feel like I said it right then. F-E-E-L instead of fill, like F-I-L-L. You got to clip that, play them back to back and see if there's actually a difference. Fill, feel. Well, feel. Anyways. So express, express yourself is what I'm saying. Express right. your emotions and how you're really feeling. That way, like, you're not bottling it up, but at the same time, don't take it out on other people. Like, do no harm. Do no harm to yourself. Do no harm to others. If you have a strong emotion and you need to let it out, let the other person know, hey, I've got this really strong emotion. I'm ticked off. I'm really upset. Not at you. And if that person did something, so let me clarify that too, because we didn't really go in to depth about that. Your dishes, like I can't say you not doing the dishes is ticking me off, right? Because that's like my emotion, my feeling is mine to own. Because you not doing the dishes, if that was the problem, then everybody should feel that same way, right? Instead, it's I like a clean space, and having these dirty dishes here is bothering me because it is going against like what I expect, right? But you're not the problem. So I'm asking you, will you help me solve this problem by cleaning it up? Mm. Like nobody can make you feel a certain way. That is yours to own. Otherwise, everybody would feel the exact same way about the same situations, and that is just not the case. So if somebody has done something that triggers you, you can say, this is a trigger for me. Can you help me take care of this so I am not triggered? Right? Right. So it's a good idea to rephrase how you ask someone to do something yes. instead of you telling me, hey, babe, clean up your dishes you have to do this thing, you would say, hey, it would make me feel a lot better if you cleaned up those dishes. Yeah. I mean, and you don't even have to put it in that way. Like you could literally say, and I've said it to you before, like this mess is driving me insane. Can you clean this up? Like it's the mess that is making me have that feeling, not you. So Instead of saying, like, you're ticking me off, you're getting on my nerves, it's like, what about that person? What is that person doing or what has that person done that's really getting on your nerves? It's not that person that's ticking you off. It may be a way that they said something. It's like, when you said this, that triggered this response in me. Right? Yeah. It's kind of like when we talk about, we put adjectives before the noun, so that's a bad person or that's a hypocritical person. It's like, no, they're not a hypocritical person. They're a person who is being hypocritical. It's a tough distinction to make. I mean, I guess if you're not used to it, but it does yeah. make sense because whenever you put an adjective before the noun, you're making that part of that person's identity. Yeah, that's true. I think that's one of those things that takes practice with emotional oh, intelligence. 100%. Yeah, you have to be aware of the fact you're doing it. 
But I think it's also funny that you try to call me out on things when I like am being unknowingly hypocritical. Like we all make mistakes. I'm not perfect. Right. And I realize I'm not perfect, but I notice sometimes like if I project onto you, you'll say you're projecting like very sarcastically. And then I don't really feed into that because I know what you're doing. And I'm like, yeah, you're right. I did. Okay. You're right. And (laughs) I'm not perfect. Yeah. I think we all want the satisfaction of being right. And if we get called out for being wrong, if I'm stubborn in a point I'm trying to make and I end up being wrong, it is, it takes a lot to say, okay, I was wrong. And at that point, you don't want someone to rub it in your face of like, yeah, I told you so. And then you're like, I'm never going to admit I'm wrong again if you're going to respond like that. Yeah. It's when you start out, I think, with emotional intelligence, it's going to be a one-way street depending on who you're talking to. They're not going to be at the same level you are or vice versa. So it's, yeah, I think that's one of the more difficult parts is being mature when it comes to those aspects. Yeah. I mean, it's a challenge. It's, it's not easy. If it was easy, then everybody would be emotionally intelligent instead of 90% of people not really being emotionally intelligent. And it's not anyone's fault per se, because we weren't taught how to do these things. But if you're listening to this and you're becoming aware of it and you, you want to change and transform, then that's something that you have to learn to take responsibility for instead of, you know, dismissing it. And, and that's the problem I have with a lot of, you know, I, I don't want to get into the subject because it's heated, but like with religion, you know, there's nothing wrong with religion in and of itself. It is when people put themselves on a pedestal and exalt themselves and think that they're better than someone else. And they don't see the hypocrisy in the things that they do. And the same thing happens with emotional intelligence. Like, I don't want to shame people who haven't developed their emotional intelligence at the level that I have, because I was where they were. If not, I was like even further past that, right? Like in a worse place than potentially they are. And I realized that. So I don't want to shame someone for not being as emotionally intelligent. And equally, I know that I'm not where I want to be. I still have a long ways to go. So it's like giving other people grace to grow and develop at their own pace and being that person that supports them, is empathetic to them, and being aware of your own faults at the same time, realizing that just because you've done work doesn't mean that you're perfect. Or better than someone that hasn't. Exactly. Yeah, that's another difficult mindset change of help raise others up instead of push them down is you want them to do better and you want to do better for them. Right. Yeah. More difficult things to work on. For sure. Well, happy anniversary. Oh, happy anniversary. I think there's a little bit more of the recap you want to do. (laughs) Got went off on a third tangent. (laughs) Okay. Well, let's reel it back in. Um, Well, I mean, so expectations was the first thing and just being clear about how you're feeling and not tacking on 
that feeling uh, to the fault of someone else. Like you are the reason for my feelings. It's like, no, your feelings are your own on it. Don't take it out on other people and set boundaries up front. Like don't wait, you know, if you're trying to work on yourself, then let people know like that in the beginning, but don't try to be the perfect person up front because ultimately that's just your true colors are going to show. It's always good to work on yourself, but just be who you are, which I think is hard for people because that is who they are in the moment. It yeah. Just, people change, right? A little bit every day. They don't change drastically. If someone is trying to change themselves, in a drastic way, like create a new image of themselves and how they want to be seen. Is it a good good idea for them to convey that to their new partner to say, Hey, I am working on changing this about myself because I used to up until recently act this way. Is that a good idea? Like I just think about the dating scene and how everybody is just kind of putting their best foot forward all the time and it's more like it's very surface level and when you and I started dating I I just wanted to skip all of that and just be like here's who I am <laughs> in in and I think also gosh we there, there's just it's so big it's such a big topic cuz people say well this is who I am but then they're using that this is who I am as an excuse to be an ass Right. Like they act a certain way and they're like, well, that's just who I am. You want me to be my authentic self, be your true self, but also realize that that does not give you permission to do harm to other people or be crude or rude to other people. That's my thing. Be who you are as long as it's not doing harm or being hurtful to someone else. That makes sense. Yeah. It's a complicated topic. Yeah. There's a lot we could cover. But I think so, that's good. Yeah. I don't know. Oh. Go ahead. Do you have more? I forgot yeah. all the other stuff. I think it was just expectations, boundaries, communication. Um, was there anything else? I don't think so. One quick touch up. Uh, you had talked about setting boundaries. And the I don't really recall specific examples of those. Did we go over that? I don't um, think so. I briefly did. It's like, you know, if you're going to talk to me about something, you have to talk to me in this way. Don't like call, like if you call me names, I'm done. Or if you do this thing, I'm done. That's what I think of as boundaries. Like if we get into an argument, if you need to handle it in this way, if you don't handle it in this way, if you do it in a disrespectful way, you're overstepping my boundaries kind okay. of thing because boundaries are different for everybody it's just knowing what you're willing to tolerate and being respectful to yourself it's like i'm going to be respectful of you you be respectful of me that's where i draw the line if you have a really crappy day and you want to vent then you can vent but you're not going to direct it at me that's where i draw the line when someone's drawing boundaries, should they do it? Should they write up a list and say, all right, these are all the things that I tolerate and don't tolerate, or do they keep it in the back of their mind? And when 
one of those boundaries gets crossed, they politely bring it up and say, I see what you're doing here, but I would prefer if, you know, we did it X way. Or is that different? I think I, I wouldn't say have a list and I definitely don't think you should keep it in the back of your mind either because you could keep pulling out the filing cabinet and then the person realizes, Oh my gosh, they have a bazillion boundaries and it's not realistic to be with this person. So I think it's one of those conversations that a lot of people don't want to have on the first or second date. And I think it really depends on the type of relationship you're looking for. If you're dating, like I said, for fun, then you're not going to have that conversation. But when you and I started dating, I was looking for a serious relationship. Right. And I was, I think 28 when we started dating. So obviously like I was trying to find someone to be with long-term because you know, my biological clock's ticking and you want to have kids, et cetera, et cetera. So I was looking for seriousness. And I think if you are looking for a serious relationship, that should be a conversation you have on date one or two, in my opinion, maybe date one, you get the, you know, a feel for that person. Do I want to have another date? I guess it depends on how fast you're moving. You know, I'm basing that off of how, how quickly we moved. So it's not fair to say you should have this conversation date one or date two. I had it, I think date one or date two with you where we were sitting down talking about what we were looking for in relationships. And that's where I had said, I'm not going to date anybody who plays video games as a hobby. Like that was one of my boundaries. I don't know if that's a boundary or expectation, I guess more of a. If it were a boundary, you would have ended it there. Yeah. Yeah. Um, But you're, but you said, well, like, I don't, you know, play it like religiously. Like it's not, I'm not addicted to it. And so at that point I said, okay, I'm going to give him a chance. And you're very good about if I say, Hey babe, like let's spend some time together. You wrap up what you're doing within like a few minutes and then we spend time together. There's no argument about, I've already promised I'm going to do this raid or I've already promised the guys I'm going to be on at this time and too bad. Like you always put me, I don't want to say me first, but you see that as a secondary, like that's not a primary. Yeah. So, and that was kind of the reason. So I guess it was kind of a boundary. Like if you play to the point where you put that before me, that's where I draw the line. Right. Yeah. Um, And you, you still get irritated with how much I play sometimes. Yeah. I mean, it's just like, I feel like every time I come downstairs, you're on the computer. I'm just like, Jesus Christ, have you stretched your legs today? Like, have you even walked outside? I mean, there was a point where you hadn't been outdoors, like step foot outdoors in over a week. Yeah. I think it was like two weeks. Yeah. I was going to say two weeks, but I didn't want to like throw that out there if I wasn't right. But yeah, I, I think that is what bothers me is like, how can you, how can you just sit in front of a computer for hours on end like that? Um, I mean, most of it was work stuff of just being really deep in the weeds of a project. And then when you come out of those weeds, you're just boggled down with so much, uh, 
real world garbage you want to escape. And then you turn to video games for, you know, six, eight hours, some minimum amount, (laughs) realistic amount. Yeah, totally. (laughs) But yeah, but I'm kind of like, and I will say on days where I'm emotionally drained, it bothers me more whenever I see you on the game. And I think if I'm being honest with myself and do like a more deep analysis, it is more of the envy of your leisure time. Mm -hmm. Like I am envious that you have so much downtime to do what you want to do. And then I also step back and say, but I made the choice to start this business. It is not fair to you to work harder because I chose to spend literally seven days a week working on my business without a day off. Like that's not fair to you. And again, that's where emotional intelligence comes in is understanding the source of that emotion. Why am I angry right now? Why am I super upset? Well, really it's not anger. I mean, it is anger, but it's also envy. And why am I feeling envy? Because he has a lot of downtime that I wish I had, but I made a choice to start a business and devote all of that time. So I shouldn't be upset with him. I should be upset with myself for not managing, managing my time effectively or, you know, X, Y, Z. That's an important distinction to make. Yeah. All right. Well, I think, I think we're good. Was that like an hour and a half? <laughs> Definitely longer than I, I expected. I, I think we said, oh, 30 minutes. <laughs> we have enough for 30 minutes. We started off slow, but then it kind of started to pick up. So, Yeah. Do you want to go to Home Depot now and get plants for our nicely stained patio? <sighs> I guess so. Yeah. Could do that. Yeah, I'm not hungry. Shouldn't take us too long. Cool. So it's not busy. Well, thanks for being a guest on my podcast. Sure, sure. It was fun. More fun than I had anticipated. Really? And I asked better questions than I thought I would. Well, good for you. I think you did great. <laughs> I you were going to say, yeah, they were very insightful. No, it's just like, good for you. <laughs> no, I, I'm, I'm very proud of you. You did a really great job. There's a good dialogue. Good dialogue. That's good. I think a husband and wife should have good dialogue. (laughs) Well, yeah, but I know how you are in front of the camera and knowing that this is going to be blasted across the world and on YouTube. and True. (laughs) Hadn't considered that. I think also it's it's comfortable because it's like a Zoom meeting and I'm used to that every day. If there were a you know, high-tech, big-cast camera sitting off to the right staring at me, and I had to interact with you face-to-face, maybe it'd be a little more camera shy. Gotcha. Huh. Cool. All right, I'll be downstairs in a moment. Okie dokie. Bye. Ta-ta. Well, Alex, it is a pleasure to have you. <laughs> uh... Wait, you don't like that well, intro? What are you doing? I mean, it's, it fell. Okay. Okay. All right. Wait.
You ready? <laughs> Probably not. Today I have a special guest on the Living and Leading with Emotional Intelligence podcast. I'm just kidding. I'm not I'm not doing that. Okay. I mean you can if you want to. No, I'm not gonna do that. That's weird. Okay. Okay. <laughs>